If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. So this week is a bit of a hodgepodge episode. We're going to be talking about a, a couple of different things that happened over the past week slash weekend. This is not going to be as upbeat as past episodes have been because we're going to be talking about some pretty tragic things, but I hope that you are in the right space to listen to some thoughts on what's happened in the past week or so and I hope that you will engage with me on on these topics as well so tragically over this past week was uh the Astro World Fest which was a big music festival and it was headlined by Travis Scott and you know tragically eight people lost their lives at this festival and it was due mainly to a phenomena called crowd crush it's it's a popularized term for a particular kind of asphyxiation there's still so many reports that are coming out about what happened and the weird thing about um i guess social media and everything like that is that you can get not only the news that's providing coverage on it, but you're also getting people who were there via social media, via Twitter, via TikTok, via Instagram, whatever it is, who were able to give kind of firsthand accounts of what went on and they can tell their story. So it was just all around, it seemed like it was a lot of things that all went wrong at once. There was some foul play that went on. It was just like, it seemed like there were not enough hands it was not enough resources. The bulk of what could be described of what happened was negligence. That's really the core of what went on. It came out that Travis Scott had gotten charged previously with kind of a similar thing. He was known for encouraging like this rage environment. And sometimes you can encourage your your audience to really feel the music and, you know, like to go crazy. But within safety parameters and that is not the environment that he necessarily fostered it was reported that he kind of encouraged audience members to uh like bum rush security not listen to what they had to say completely disregard any type of safety protocols um and overall it kind of fostered a very dangerous environment especially when you have 50,000 plus people packed into one area it's a lot of that going on and in all of the reporting and everything that's come out, it was reminiscent of an event that happened 20, 20 plus years ago, which was Woodstock 99. I watched an incredible documentary about it 
on HBO Max. And it talks, it pretty much chronicles the three days of the event. And it was in so many words, a complete and utter nightmare and disaster. I feel like most people maybe listening might be aware of it, but if you're not, Woodstock 99 was meant to be a kind of revival of the famous like Woodstock Music Festival from 1969, I believe. I think they had another one in 1994, which pretty much went off without a hitch. Everything was was great. People really enjoyed it. And then they wanted to revive it for Woodstock 99, 1999. The difference being between all those three events was that in 1969 and 1994, you had music in an audience that were, and the word I want to use is compatible, right? Like music in 1969 definitely was a, you know, had a very strong identity and a strong message. And those who listened to it could resonate with that message in whatever way it was, whether it was a message of, of peace, whether it was a message of which a lot of the music of 1969 was, was centered around change and social issues. And those who were listening to it were in the throes of that environment. Like the social political climate of 1969 really gave us a lot of this music that was meant to make us think and make us, you know, feel something of, of the time. And apparently 19, 1994, excuse me, was the, the same thing. It was music that was very of the time. And those who listened to it could really resonate with the message and everything that was going on. If, if nothing else, just enjoying the music. But what was different about 1999 was that the music and the message almost were conflicting with each other. They were kind of going up against each other. And so by proxy, the audience kind of was also like a weird bit that was added to this very weird cocktail all at once. And then you get what eventually happened. So per what I understand, Woodstock 99 was a very like volatile, like it had a very volatile um, set list and like, list of people who would be performing and it was a, an incredibly like hyper masculine very misogynistic space um, very violent space in some accounts could be very racist space it was a lot of the isms all in one spot and it was like 300,000 people all converging in this airfield in upstate New York I think listening to this music and so the thing that they kind of brought up in this documentary was that there were a lot of acts who were wanting to make music that was angry, but they didn't really know what they were angry at. So you had bands like, you know, Limp Biscuit. That was kind of the turning point of the entire um, festival. When they performed, they performed the song called Break Shit. And there's a moment in the song where Fred Durst kind of has this breakdown period where he's saying, like, if you're mad at your mom or you're mad at your parents, you're mad at your teachers or, you know, mad at me, mad at the world, whatever it is. I encourage you, you know, to break shit pretty much. And so they did. They broke the stage. <laughs> they Like the concert goers dismantled the stage so much so that they had to like in the set kind of early. And a lot of people afterwards were blaming Fred Durst. It's like, why did you encourage these kids to do that? 
But the weird thing that a lot of people weren't acknowledging was that up until that point in the festival, I think they performed on day two, like the end, like Saturday, like they at like at night. These kids that were going and I say kids because they were like seniors in high school, freshmen in college, like college age people. They had been stewing in this like it was like this anger was bubbling up throughout the entirety of the festival. And then when you have a song by this group that was kind of known for making music that was meant to be angry, but no one knew what they were really angry at, you get what eventually happened. And this is on top of all of the crazy stuff that had happened on the Friday. This is on top of the fact that the festival had, similar to Astroworld, had no resources whatsoever, had, you know, water for exorbitant prices and just a bunch of things that went wrong, which, you know, I hope as you're listening, this sounds very familiar. And so I think that's kind of a similar spot to where Astroworld is, is you have music that, and this isn't to say that, you know, Travis Scott's music is devoid of meaning and devoid of an, an intended emotion or whatever it is. It's not that. It's so much so that it is intended, it's geared towards people who, in theory, don't have much to be angry about. The, the, the feeling of needing to rage is can be valid. But when you don't really know what you're raging at or for or against, it just is unbridled emotion that eventually can lead to some pretty horrific events. In the case of Woodstock 99, there were countless cases of sexual assault that happened. It was a pretty, I would say, lawless area where they were and that the entire festival was just incredibly lawless. So many accounts of sexual assault, um, of just violence. There were people there who weren't really there to listen to the music. They were there to cause chaos, essentially. They were there to, like, mess stuff up. They were not there to enjoy the music which is the intention of a music festival um and you kind of saw that similar thing with with astroworld and unfortunately it ended in such a tragic way where people lost their lives there was there was one death at least reported in the documentary and it was due to similar to what happened in astroworld which was crowd crush asphyxiation and um in that particular case they just didn't have medics who could revive the person in astroworld it's a similar thing i thought that they were just almost these like parallels 20 plus years apart from each other and it shows that like the music that we listen to the media that we take in it's so important to understand the the context and the meaning and like the intention of what it's supposed to make us feel and sometimes it can be a bit difficult when the intention of your music is not really resonating with the crowd. Like the crowd of Woodstock was primarily suburban white males who, in theory, did not have a ton to be angry about with society. And Astroworld is a similar thing, a primarily suburban kids who... I'm sure had their own struggles, but 
in like a large, you know, thrush did not have a lot to be angry about. And so when you're encouraging this rage environment and this rage has no real foundation and it's not stemming from really anything, you get this just big push of chaos. And that is unfortunately what happened both at Woodstock 99 and is what happened at Astroworld. It's saddening, if nothing else, um, to see these two events, again, like I said, 20 years apart from each other, and you wonder, like, what have we learned? Like, what is different? And sometimes, sometimes in 20 years, you don't learn much, and it seems like you have to keep learning that lesson over and over again. When does it end? That's the real question. When does it end? When can we just enjoy a a concert and enjoy an artist's music and not live in fear that it's just going to go left because they encourage the crowd to 350,000 or 300,000 people all crushed into one environment to bum rush the stage or and stampede and trample over people. Like, when does it end? That's my question. So another thing that happened this week was that there's been a lot of big progress made as far as vaccines for kids goes. They were kind of the the last big group of people where there was some uncertainty and there was a lot of clinical testing and trials that had to be done. And it seems like now we're in a spot where kids can be vaccinated. And that has obviously caused much contention, as much contention as it's caused with adults getting vaccinated. Um And so in a push to maybe help kids and their parents feel a little bit more comfortable with the idea of getting vaccinated, Sesame Street did a thing was a a CNN town hall where kids and parents could ask questions about being vaccinated. And also, I think within that kind of like uh, PR push, uh, Big Bird also got vaccinated it was announced on twitter that he got vaccinated and let me see if i can actually pull up the tweet it was very very cute i i (laughs) i thought it was very cute that he announced that he got vaccinated and a lot of people also didn't know that big bird is canonically six he's he's a six-year-old bird um a lot of people didn't know that but he is he's vaccinated he's six years old Um, and so it was kind of an attempt to make kids feel a lot more comfortable. So if they see that a character like Big Bird is vaccinated, then they can also, you know, feel happy that they are also like either going to or like have been vaccinated. Um, so the tweet reads as follows. This is from the official Big Bird Twitter account at Big Bird. I got the COVID-19 vaccine today. My wing is feeling a little sore, but it'll give my body an extra protective boost that keeps me and others healthy. Miss Erica R. Hill even said, I've been getting vaccines since I was a little bird. I had no idea. In not cuckoo bananas land, which is not where we are right now, I feel like most people would see this as, that is so cute, that is so sweet, uh, that big bird got vaccinated. Obviously, the puppet... The Muppet did not get vaccinated, but in the 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 canon, the story, the six year old Big Bird got vaccinated. To most people, I think they saw this as like that's cute. Moving on. But people who um, seemingly have 
number one, nothing else better to do. And number two, I would assume have bills and mortgage mortgages to pay. Um, decided to bum rush to Twitter to express their disdain for Big Bird getting vaccinated. And they claimed that Sesame Street has never been political. And my gosh, is that such a false statement? Because if you know anything about Sesame Street, you know that it is a very political show. And I think some people use political as in, as a, it's become a bad word of like, you know, they've never been political and they've never, you know, gone against the status quo. And they have the literal point of the show being created was a very political thing. If you don't know, Sesame Street was created in 1969 because a group of television producers Joan Gans Cooney and Lloyd Morissette with the help of John Stone that they saw that television which was a very new medium at the time had the potential to both sell to children which they had seen with countless cereal commercials and toy commercials and everything like that they saw that if television could sell to a child it could definitely teach a child as well um and also, in tandem with that, there was a huge disparity between white communities and communities of color, especially black communities, when it came to how ready their children were for school. So school readiness was a very big part of why Sesame Street was created. Um, and so the point of the show being created was to encourage the and like close the gap between white communities and white kids and kids of color, especially black kids, so that they were both equally ready for school because a lot of these communities did not have access to all the resources that white communities did. And so Sesame Street was meant to bridge the gap and allow all communities to be as ready for school as they could be. So that's number one. I, if you know any, like I said, if you know anything about Sesame Street, you know that they've never shied away from being honest and creating the space for kids to learn about things that are difficult in life. They never shy away from those things because life is not that way, even for a child. And to shield a child from, yes, it's important to, if you don't have to put a child in a traumatic Thing or teach them about something that is difficult you may put it off but for a lot of kids especially kids of color they are experience certain phenomena a lot earlier than other kids do and so they have to learn about these things a lot earlier that's just a, a, a small thing if you will but apparently a lot of people are talking about that this is not the first time Big Bird got vaccinated so in a 1972 episode of Sesame Street Big Bird got vaccinated um, against measles. And there was a big Sesame Street child immunization campaign to encourage other kids and like kids and their parents to get vaccinated against the measles. So this has happened before. But th those who, again, presumably have bills and mortgages that they are completely ignoring by jumping to Twitter to rant about a Muppet, essentially, would not see it. In the same way, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Sesame Street inherently is a very political show. It is a show that is, in my opinion, I've said this before, Sesame Street is the most important show in the history of television. If nothing else, everyone, mostly everyone under the sun, has grown up with 
Sesame Street and has learned a thing or two from Sesame Street from with this, with the this big vaccine push to an episode, I think it was a 1982 episode where Big Bird learns about death and they don't shy away from explaining what it is. And so the show has always been on kind of the cutting edge of like making difficult things accessible and palpable for children without sugarcoating it and making it something that it's not. Because Sesame Street knows that the world around us and around children sometimes won't be as gentle. So if they can be the first line of defense to explain a difficult topic or explain a difficult phenomena to a child, they will do that. And I just think that that's a testament to the type of show that it is. But again, maybe I'm existing in a vacuum here. Maybe I'm on an island by myself. I don't know. I don't know. But I'd love to know what you think. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Hi, I'm Bobby podcast. As always, at the end of each episode, I'd love to hear from you. So in a description of every single episode, you will find a link to send me a one minute audio message. As you guys know, it could be a hot take. It could be a question. It could be a response to something that I said. It's truly up to you. My one and only ask is, of course, that you keep it respectful. And if audio messages really are not your thing, you can just shoot me a DM over on Instagram at the afternoon special or over on TikTok at the afternoon special or over on Twitter at hi, I'm Bobby. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that you'll join me again for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. I'm Carlos King, one of the most sought-after executive producers in reality television. I am thrilled to announce Reality with the King, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from Nene Leakes, Teresa Judai and Kenya Moore. Each episode, we will rehash shocking portrayals, honey. Yes! Hilarious shade. And all the drama. Reality with the King podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts.